Welcome to this week's episode of the North Bible Church Podcast. Now, let's join our pastor as we open God's Word together. We've, uh, we've come to our uh, uh, place in our study of Genesis. We're going through the first 11 chapters of the book of Genesis, and we have come to the story of Noah. Now, all of you church people are thinking, I know Noah, I know the story. Noah's a good guy, builds an ark, it rains, they float, they get out, they take the animals, you know, everybody lives happily ever after. I've heard that story my whole life and we all feel like we, we know the story and uh, because we have some information about Noah, we feel like that we know it and a lot of times we're gonna, we're gonna skip over uh, a story like that. We just kind of feel like we've heard it so many times and, and yet it's, it's such a critical story in the narrative of the Old Testament and, in, and, and really in our lives that I don't wanna skip it. I want us to take a kind of a fresh look. I want us to take a new look at, at this whole story story about Noah. Uh, maybe there's going to be some things that we're going to learn today, not only about the story, but about ourselves, and, and I hope uh, about who God is. Uh, so, but it's a, it's a really common story. I can remember hearing about Noah my whole life. Uh, back when I was a kid, though, they didn't do videos on Noah. We had this, this, this ancient thing called a flanograph, and they would just stack these pictures up on this piece of felt, and we would look at the story of Noah, and we all kind of felt like, you know, Noah was a cartoon character. It's kind of like what I thought, you know. Um, and, and so we love to tell the story of Noah to kids, and we love to hear kids tell the story. And so we just thought it might be good, really helpful for you today if we asked some of our kids from North to help you understand the Noah story. So watch this. We can sort of close in prayer, right? We got it all, don't we know? <laughs> so the, the, the truth is, we love to tell this story to kids, but it is really not a children's story. In fact, I read a quote that one, one pastor said, this has got to be the, uh, the what, what, what do you say? It's got to be the most un-Sunday school, Sunday school story in the Bible. Uh, that when we really look at the story of Noah, it's so much bigger uh, than that, and uh, it, it's, it's got so much going on that's difficult, even hard for us to, to understand, that maybe sometimes we just reduce it down to this children's story because it's kind of fun with Noah and the ark and the animals, but, but, but the truth is that there's a lot here, and you know, one of the things about us is that we are obsessed with information. And so you might look at the story and think about what kind of information can I, can I get because we, we think that information matters. There was a book that was written some years ago by a guy named John Nesbitt. It was a best-selling book called Megatrends. And he suggests that the history of the United States can be told in the occupational changes from farmer to laborer uh, to an information society. Uh, from farmer uh, agrarian society to an industrial society to an information society. And he even goes so far as to suggest that we're drowning in information, uh, but we're starved for knowledge. That we're drowning in information, that we have so much information now, we have so much coming at us, but we're, but we're starving for real knowledge. That we, there, There's lots of details, but do we really know uh, anything? And he wrote this book in 1982. Since then... Here's what's happened. The data, uh, the data volumes are exploding. More data has been created in the past two years than the entire previous history of the human race. 
Data is growing faster than ever before, and by the year 2020, about 1.7 megabytes of new information will be created every second for every human being on the planet. So an article from Forbes magazine. One business journalist talked about it this way. A good argument is that with so many sources of information, it's become more difficult to tell the reputable ones from the less reputable ones. Gone are the days when someone wanted to, uh, who wanted to disseminate information had to invest in a printer or a television or a radio station. Here in the digital world, anyone with a computer can publish and anyone with a cell phone can tweet. While technology has been miraculous, it's muddied the waters somewhat when it comes to knowing what to believe. It's not so much a case of truth versus untruth, but rather it's a matter of presenting only limited information that ultimately causes one to reach the wrong conclusion. So we are overwhelmed, we are drowning in information, but we live in a world that's struggling to know, struggling to have knowledge, to know what really to believe, what really matters. And this, uh, this journalist wasn't speaking of spiritual realities, but his observation are significant for us in, when we think about the things of the Lord. It's, sim- it's simply this, that we live in an explosion of information about our psyches, our societies, our bodies, our environments, and we're certainly not living, though, in a parallel explosion of knowledge about God or knowledge about the holy. The story of creation teaches us that we were made in God's image, and when that image was broken, we no longer know how to live the way God intended us to. When we break God's commands or his intentions for us, there are natural consequences to us. So as a result of that, we, um, people who follow God, people who come to church often admit that we get more and more information about God, but do we really have more knowledge of God? Do we really know God? And so as we look at a story like Noah, it's not about getting more information about God. It's not about winning the next argument. It's about how do we know God? How can we know God? And when we look at a story like this, how can we learn more about God. We're drowning in information about God, but we're lacking in knowledge of God. So Genesis 6 begins the story, and we're going to start at verse 5, looking at the story of Noah. It begins like this, the Lord saw the wickedness of man was great in the earth, and that every intention of the thoughts of his heart was only evil continually. There's an interesting opening, that's sort of an attention grabber, right? That God, the God who initially, when he created everything, he looked and he saw that it was good, and now God looks at everything, and what he sees is something that's unraveling, something that's self-destructing, something that's continually evil. And the Lord regretted that he had made man on earth, and he grieved, uh, he grieved him in his, to his heart. Think about that, that God looked at what he had created, he looked at mankind, and he regretted even creating man, and he was grieving that it broke his heart when he saw the life that people were living. We're 10 generations out from Adam and Eve when we get to Noah, but we don't really know exactly how many years that, that is because people lived so long back there. Can you imagine living on a planet with no pollution, no carcinogens, no, no, you know, nothing that would shorten our lives, that it's pure, fresh air, uh, everything they ate is pure, uh, no pesticides, nothing like that, and so they lived a long time, but what we do know from the chronology in Genesis is that, that Noah is 10 generations out from Adam and Eve. He is, uh, and God looks at this world 10 generations later, and it grieves, it breaks his heart 
what he sees. So verse seven says, the Lord said, I will blot out man whom I've created from the face of the land, man and animals and creeping things and the birds of the heavens, for I am sorry that I made them. Can you imagine that scene? Can you imagine God grieving so much? And, and, and then here's, here's what happens in information, that we get this some information like this, and, and so immediately we get stuck, and, and we ask ourselves a question, okay, how could a loving God even say that? How could a loving God uh, just wipe out everybody on the face of the earth? How, how, how does that tie in with what we're told about a loving God and, and what we just celebrated in, in the Lord's Supper? And, and it's easy for us to get lost in questions like that, it's easy for us to get lost in, in, uh, in this story with the information that we get without really taking the time to think about what does this teach us about God? What are we learning about God? Verse eight says that Noah found favor in the eyes of the Lord. These are the generations of Noah. Noah was a righteous man, blameless in his generation. Noah walked with God. So there's some hard questions in this story, right? There's some really difficult things in the story, and I will tell you that I don't always get this. I don't understand everything. That we started this in the first chapter of Genesis that when we talked about that people argue and fight over was earth created in six days and then God rested, was it created in six billion days and people spend years, they spend their whole lives studying just so they can come and argue about it together and, and, and they get all of this information and all of this knowledge and they get all of these details and yet they don't understand, they don't completely understand and there are some things that we won't understand until we're we're with the Lord someday, and we get caught in the information. I, I brought this. This is kind of a, um, anybody know what this is? It's, this is not a trick question. It's sheet music. Sheet music, and, and uh, I, I actually took three years of uh, piano lessons. In fairness, I probably took year one three times, but I was doing it for three years, and, and so I, I, I look at this, and um, it means almost nothing to me, anymore. I know every good boy does fine. I can I remember the lines, you know, on the scale. Um, I, I can look at this and I know a treble clef, this squiggly thing in the corner, and, and I know that there's a line over those notes that I have no idea what that's supposed to be telling me. Uh, I know that there are some notes that have a hole in them like a donut and they last longer and, you know, things like that, that there's stuff in there. And, and you know, here's the thing. We could, you could spend all of your time studying this sheet music. And you could look at all these lines and you could, you could disagree with them. You could say, well, this is violin one, violin two, viola, that's awesome. Uh, this is Mozart's uh, uh, 25th symphony in G minor, by the way, it's lovely. Um, and, and here's the secret to this, that we get stuck trying to read the music. We get stuck on trying to understand the notes and trying to figure out the really squiggly lines. And if we don't, if we're not careful, we are going to spend all of our time trying to understand the notes, trying to figure out all of that, and we're gonna miss the music. Because it's really about the music, isn't it? It's really about hearing the music and appreciating the music. And when we start looking at stories like Noah and we start looking at things in the scripture and we, we start getting information, we can get so lost in, in, in trying to read the music and, and trying to look at all of the letters and notes and understand and study those that we can miss the music that God is creating in our lives and in our hearts. And this morning, we don't want to miss the music. 
We don't understand everything that goes on. I can't give you a, a rational, I can't give you a clear, make it perfect for you uh, understanding about all the things that happen, but I do know that God creates the music and we want to look at the music this morning. So that's what we're going to attempt to do. There's gonna be destruction and judgment in this story. Some of you are gonna ask how a loving God can wipe out a whole generation of people. It doesn't seem fair to you. There's gonna be a temptation to write off the whole thing. But in that, God's calling us to take a bigger look. And maybe we listen to the music this morning. Now there's three things about this story that I wanna make sure that we cover. The, The first one is what God saw, and the second is how he felt, and the third, is what he did about it. So first, what God saw, he saw the wickedness and the violence everywhere. He saw that there was, that we were content, that mankind was continually evil, that it was a time that, that the whole culture, the whole world was unraveling, that there was killing and murder and violence and, and all kinds of uh, kind of wanton evil that was happening, everything that you can imagine. It sort of sounds like watching the news today, doesn't it? It sort of sounds like the violence that we're seeing in our culture today. And that's what was happening and God looked at that and it broke his heart and he regretted it and God said we have to do something. We have to stop this violence. And you know, my best look at this is that, that God looked that at a world that was being ruined. God looked at a world that was unraveling, that was self-destructing and he said we have to stop the violence. The flood is gonna stop the violence. And we have this picture of a holy God who hates sin. We have a holy God who, who sees the violence, he sees the pain, he sees the persecution, he sees all that's going on, and yet he's a God who loves his people, and he says, how can we stop this violence? What can we do? And he chooses a flood. The flood stops the human violence, and God is in effect saying, I'm gonna destroy what's already being self-destroyed. I'm gonna stop the unraveling. In Genesis 6, 11, it says, now the earth was corrupt in God's sight and the earth was filled with violence and God saw the earth and behold, it was corrupt. That could be translated gone to ruin for all flesh had corrupted their way on the earth and there was not uh, a final justice. Uh, it, it means it, there was no, it was everything is right in your own li- eyes. It was, it was re- really survival of the fittest. Everything is okay. If it's okay with you, then that's your decision. If it's okay with me, if it's all right with me to take your property, if it's all right with me to kill a person, then, then that's my truth. That's my life. The earth is mentioned eight times along the way in this passage, so he's talking about the whole earth had gone crazy. The world is self-destructing, and God determines to cleanse the destruction of his creation. In the beginning, God looked at what he created and said it was good, and now God looked at what, what had happened, and it broke his heart. Chuck Colson says uh, this in one of his books, if we live by our own formula for what is right and true, there is no basis for human dignity. What we had in this context was everybody living for themselves, what they thought, what they decided was right, what they thought was true for themselves, and they took away the dignity of human beings. Murder was okay, violence was okay, everything was okay, if that's what you thought. 
So the verse six tells us how God felt, and, and here's a remarkable part. God regretted that he had made man on the earth and it grieved his heart. And here's what I want you to understand, that no matter how you look at the world, no matter how bad you think things are, uh, no matter how horrible you think things have become, it hurts God more. He grieves more. And it broke his heart to see what was happening in the world. And a just and a holy God has to do something. He acts. And that's what God did. He acted. But I want us to understand if we listen to the music, that this isn't an arbitrary thing for God. This isn't something that he does out of hand. This isn't a thing where he says, you're not getting it right, and I'm gonna, so I'm gonna wipe you guys out and start over. But this broke God's heart when he saw the ruin, when he saw the self-destruction, when he saw the violence and the hatred and God had to act. So here's what he did about it. First, we look at God found favor, or Noah found favor in the eyes of the Lord. Noah found favor in the eyes of the Lord. We're gonna learn three things about Noah. First, he found favor in the eyes of the Lord. Second, he was a righteous man. And third, he was blameless in his generation. God, he found favor, and here's why. Because he was a righteous man. He obeyed God's commands. He was just and honest. Righteous uh, comes from a Hebrew word, sadiq, which uh, refers to someone who is habitually righteous. Someone who consistently does what's right before God. And so here, in the midst of all the violence and all of the chaos, God sees a man and his family, and this man walks with God. This man is habitually righteous. He is careful to obey what God's commanded. So we have this idea of Noah being a righteous man, and then we have this third picture of Noah as a man who walked with God. And we've talked about this. It's a Hebrew idiom for a man who lives in relationship with God. He does life with God, he walks with God, he trusts God. He's a man of character, and so no matter how, how old-fashioned people thought Noah was, no matter how traditional that they complained he was, no matter how they made fun of him as he was building the ark, they had to respect the way he lived. He was found blameless in his generation. With everybody around him, they respected how he lived because he was a man who walked with God. And so God said, Noah, I'm gonna take you and your family and I'm gonna take some animals and I want you to build an ark. And it doesn't exactly say it in there, but I'm pretty sure Noah said, what's an ark? There had never been an ark before. I think we have a, we have a picture of the ark here. So you can go to Kentucky today and this guy built an ark and he went through all of the scripture and figure out what a cubit is. And you know a cubit is the distance between your elbow and your the end of your fingers. And so you measure by, uh, and so like really big people have longer cubits apparently than guys like me. So, but he built this model of an ark that he did to the biblical, you know, qualifications, the, uh, the size. And in fact, it's said on that ark that you can land uh, three shuttles, nose to nose, three space shuttles, on the top of that ark. That's the scope and the size of this thing. So if you want to go to Kentucky, you can actually, it's like an amusement park now. You can go see this replica uh, of the ark. But God put Noah to work building an ark. And in spite of rejection and humiliation and all of that from everyone around him, because nobody'd seen a storm before, nobody'd seen an ark before. No, they thought he was hearing things, uh, hearing voices that, and Noah, by faith, 
builds an ark. And when he was done, you know this, you know this part of the story, it started to rain. I, I'm with the kids in the video. I have no idea how they got on, the animals got on the ark. You know, Jedi mind trick, you know, or something that, that God spoke to them. God got them on the ark in twos, and they spent this time uh, on the ark. But there's a great little spot here that God, as he found favor with Noah, that God said, I will not give up on my people, that I found a man and his family, I've found favor in their lives and his righteousness, and God says, I won't give up on my people. Because of Noah's righteousness, God starts again. This God is all over this story. It's a painful account. It's a hard story. It's tough for us to understand, but we don't want to miss the music because this is a story about God's character. This is a story about God's redemption. This is a story about God's love for us and his faithfulness. And he is saying, I am not giving up on this story. I am not giving up on my creation that we have to do something. We're going to do something. And I want you to understand this morning that what this teaches us is that God doesn't give up on us. He won't give up on you. I would give up on me. <laughs> I think I probably have, have given up on myself sometimes, but God won't give up on us. Uh, there's a book that I read a while back um, in, for my life uh, by a Yale professor named Nicholas Walterstorff. And um, he had lost a son in a tragi tragic hiking accident. In the middle of his grief, he wrote this little book called Lament for a Son. And there's a quote in there that's really significant to me. It says this, It is said of God that no one can behold his face and live. I've always thought this meant that no one could see his splendor and live. A friend said perhaps it meant that no one could see his sorrow and live, or perhaps his sorrow is his splendor that when God saw that his creation was ruining itself, was self-destructing in his sorrow, in his grief, God showed us his splendor. He showed us his love. He showed us his beauty. And then he said, I am not going to give up on this story. There is still a man. There is still a family who follows me, who trusts me. And I'm going to provide a way. And we are going to start over. The truth is that you have a father who faces your grief, your pain, and your sin with you, and I don't always understand what's going on, but I know that with God, the story is going someplace. I don't always understand what's happening in my life or what's happening around me, but I always know that there's a bigger story, that God is in the process of telling a bigger story about my life. I am so caught in the moment. I'm so caught in my circumstances and what's going on right in front of me, and I have to remind myself that there's something bigger, that God doesn't give up on me, he doesn't give up on us, and there's something bigger going on in a story, and I trust God's character. I trust that he's in the story. I trust that he's doing something, that he is still at work. And so we have the flood and we have the ark and you can read all the details about that, but we get to chapter eight. Verse one, it says, but God remembered Noah and all the beasts and all the livestock that were with him in the ark and God made a wind to blow over the earth and the water subsided. 
I love that first line, it says God remembered Noah. It's not that God forgot Noah, but what, what we're learning here is that God never stopped thinking about Noah. He never gave up on Noah. Noah was always in front of him. Noah was always, uh, always on his mind. He remembered Noah. He remembered that he had the, those guys, that family and those animals on that ark. He never stopped thinking about them. God made a wind blow over the earth and the waters began to recede and it took months, but finally Noah opens a window and he sends out a raven and it was a raven, so nothing happens. And then he sends out a dove and I don't know, it just seemed like ravens. But he sends out a dove and there's no place to land. The dove comes back and seven days later, he opens the window again and he sends out the dove and the next time the dove comes back carrying an olive branch and Noah says, open the doors, boys. It's time to get out. And they, they leave the ark and they take the animals and they start in a fresh and a cleansed world. Verse, chapter nine, verse one, it says, and God blessed Noah and his sons and he said to them, be fruitful and multiply and fill the earth. So we have the creation story in the beginning of Genesis. And then we have this decreation that happens 10 generations later where the world is unraveling and people are self-destructing, and now we have the new creation story where God says, I want you to go now, and I want you to be fruitful and multiply, and that message is still true today as we see a culture around us that sometimes feels like it's, it's you know, decreation, it's, it's self-destructing, that God says, but if anyone is in Christ, you are a new creation, you've become brand new, the old has passed away, and look, you're new. He's in effect saying that he's in effect saying that when we sinned and you know we were created in the image of God and when we sinned and when we rebelled from God that image was broken that image became obscured that image became hard to know we couldn't see ourselves we spend our lives trying to figure out what's our identity and who we are and all those things and he says no I am not finished with the story but I am going to give you an opportunity to become a new creation I'm going to take your old life I'm going to make you new you are image bearer of the King you belong to me God is created you in his image he has recreated you in his image and he's restored us if, if, if we belong to him if he's the Lord of our lives it's a promise that he gives us and then in, in chapter 9 starting verse 12 it says and God said this is a sign of the covenant that I make between me and you and every living creature that is with you for all future generations I like that phrase because that's us right all future generations, that I have set my bow in the cloud and it shall be a sign of the covenant between me and the earth and when I bring clouds over the earth and the bow is seen in the clouds, I, I will remember my covenant that is between me and you and every living creature of all flesh and the water shall never again become a flood to destroy all flesh. When the bow is in the clouds, I will see it and remember the everlasting covenant between God and every living creature of all flesh that is on the earth. God said to Noah, this is the sign of the, co of, of the covenant that I've established between me and all the flesh on the earth. Pretty interesting. So here's the picture. You guys know this, right? I tell you the story of Noah, and I tell you how it ends, and, and you say, well, God uh, put a rainbow in the sky, right? And he promised never to cause that kind of a flood again, to, to flood the whole earth, and 
And, uh, and so we kind of wrap that, that story up with our bow. And, uh, but here's what's really interesting. If you want to know about God, uh, if you want to know God, you, you look at this a little bit deeper. You take a fresh look at this. And one of the things that you find out in the English Standard Version, they have an interesting translation. It doesn't say rainbow, does it? It says bow. And, and that this has led some scholars, as they look at this, the same word in the Hebrew, uh, cassette, is used for a rainbow, but it's also used for a hunting bow. You know what a hunting bow is, right? You know, hunting? Okay. So it's used for a hunting bow. And so some scholars would say, yeah, maybe it was a rainbow, but, but maybe what God was saying is, I am setting down my warrior's bow, that no longer will I take that bow up of a flood uh, to cleanse the earth, but I am laying that bow down the hunter's bow, the justice bow on that, and I won't do that again. Uh, and and it's, it creates sort of a different picture for us. It's kind of a powerful picture for us that God is saying, this is, this is my covenant to you, that I'm gonna lay down the warrior's bow. And, and, and here's the thing, he says, when, you, you know, when the storm comes, because you know, see, I, I think rainbows are awesome. I just think we ought to have them all the time. You know, so let's, could we just cut out the storm part just get to the, right to the rainbow, right? I mean, aren't you with me? I mean, I don't, we don't need to vote or anything, but seriously, uh, here's, here's what God is saying, though, that, that there's clouds and there's storms, and that we have the promise that, that we're going to have storms, but there's always gonna be a rainbow. There's always gonna be a bow. There's always gonna be a sign of the covenant that God has made and how much he loves us. So we don't, it, there's no guarantee of no storms. That's a given in our lives. The promise is that God has made a covenant and he reminds us when we see that bow in the sky. And whether you love the picture of a rainbow or you like the picture of a warrior's bow, God's made a promise to us. And that's his story. That's how the music gets played. That God says no matter how hard things get, no matter how bad things get, I've made a promise to you. I'm not gonna give up on you. I'm giving you an opportunity to be a, a new creation. So the fact is that there are gonna come a time when God finishes this. There's gonna come a time when God will take care of all of the violence. He's gonna take care of all the sin. He's gonna take care of all of this once and for all. There's gonna be a moment when God himself enters into the violence. It enters into the corruption. God the Son takes it all upon himself. All of the sin, all of the suffering, all of the consequences on himself. The battle is waged on the cross and it's waged against the enemy for our sake. It's waged for us. That God decided to finish it once and for all and he sent Jesus and Jesus came to give his life to wage that battle once and for all for our sake so that we might have life, so that we might have life in him. So don't miss the music this morning because if you're hung up trying to read the notes and trying to figure out how God could do this and how he did that and all of those things, you're gonna miss the fact that he wants us to understand his character. He wants us to understand how much he loves us. He wants us to understand that he is a righteous and a holy God, but he finds favor on his people and he's called us to himself and he's recreated us to be image bearers of his son Jesus. He wants you to see yourself as he sees you, a new creation. The old has passed away. It's been washed by the blood of Jesus and it's become new. 
The storm clouds will come, we know that, but we are reminded that the rainbow is coming. We're reminded that the warrior's bow is coming, that God's promise is for all generations, and his character says he will be faithful. He'll be faithful to us, he'll be faithful to you. That's his promise, that's who he is. Let's pray. Lord, thank you. Thank you for the story of Noah. It's a, it's a harder story than we like to give it credit sometimes, Lord, I think, but yet you are so faithful. And Lord, help us this morning to, to listen to the music of your love for us, of the, your character, uh, of, but also, Lord, of your judgment, of, of your justice. You are a holy God, yet you are a God who loves us and has given us the opportunity to become a new creation in you. So Lord, we, we wanna understand that this morning. We wanna understand your character. We wanna understand your love. We wanna listen to the music, and I pray that, that you would help us this morning to be reminded of your incredible love for us. The fact that we are a new creation, the old has passed away, the new has come, and we thank you, and we receive that this morning. In Jesus' name, amen. In just a moment, we'll rejoin our pastor for today's closing thoughts, but first, we wanted to thank you for tuning in. North Bible Church is located in Scottsdale, Arizona and exists to equip all generations to love God, love one another, and love the world. For more information about North, please visit our website at northbiblechurch.com. Now, some closing thoughts from our pastor. So uh, speak what is true, what a great line for a song. And here's the truth is we don't know everything. Uh, I, I, I would love to give you really nice, easy, pat answers for all of the parts of the Bible that you, you don't like or you think are hard or they're hard to understand. Um, but we don't always do that, but here's what we do. We trust the character of God. That as we grow, we don't get lost in so much in the details as those things as we focus on what we know about God. And, and I want to give you an encouragement uh, this morning is that th this week, when you read the Bible, and I really hope that sometime this week you will read the Bible, that you don't just sit down and read something and, and try to get more information about God, but you'll try to learn something of God, uh, how he loves you, that, that you'll read it and say, Lord, what do you want me to know about you today? Not what you want me to know about the Bible or, or to win the next argument, but what do you want me to know about you? How can I know you more? Um, because we'll, we're gonna have times in our lives when we just don't get it. Um, you know, I, I went through a, about a year and a half, went through about a year and a half where I lost my brother, my mom, my, my sister, and it just didn't seem fair to me. And I'm a grown-up, I'm a pastor, okay? Serious, it's my job to get this stuff. And I was just wrecked and I didn't have any answer for that. Why did my little sister have to get pancreatic cancer and die? And she was, she'd moved, she was a widow. She moved out to help me with my mom. She gets sick. I don't get it, but here's what my mom had taught me. To trust the character of God. Not my circumstances, but to trust God and his love and his character and to know that he's not finished with the story and that there's something happening, that he's the God of the resurrection, he's the God of grace and truth, and there is more to this story, there's more to the music that's going on, and I need to trust him and his character and his story. 
even when I don't understand the circumstances. And, and I just promise you, if you haven't hit that yet, you will, because we just don't understand everything. But we can understand the character and the love of God. We can understand the music that God is playing in our hearts and our lives. We can understand that we're a new creation in Him, and we can live based on that. We can live our lives on that. I love you guys. Have a great day. God bless. Thank you for joining us for this week's message. North Bible Church is located in Scottsdale, Arizona, and exists to equip all generations to love God, love one another, and love the world. For more information about North, please visit our website at northbiblechurch.com.